You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Well, at this time, we'll now dismiss our little ones to the children's ministry. So if you have a, a child who's been checked in with a sticker, if they can make their way to the back, and Miss Milana will go ahead and lead them to the classrooms. We're continuing in Matthew, and we find ourselves again here in chapter 10, this commissioning of the 12 disciples as they now are on mission, as they're taking up the mission of Christ. And Matthew records this in verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them. These are instructions for us as followers of Christ. And as disciples of Christ, we listen, we follow after him. But this takes a miraculous move of the Holy Spirit. So as we sit under this teaching, under what Christ has instructed us, let's go before the Father in dependence and prayer. Lord, thank you for not leaving us in the dark God, you are a God who speaks. You have revealed yourself. You have revealed yourself, namely, in the person of Christ, being the exact imprint of your nature, God of very God. And so as we hear Christ's instructions and command to us, Lord, would you cause for us to listen? Would you cause for us to obey? And Lord, that obeying and that listening and that following after you would not be a burden, but a delight. Christ, you are our delight. We pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen. So if you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 10 if you're not already there. Our verses today are verses 5 through 15. Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Verse 11, in whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, 
it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Beloved, this is God's word to us. You may be seated. Can you imagine what it would be like to be one of the 12? To actually be one of the 12 walking with Jesus, witnessing all that Jesus said and did. Can you imagine being one of the 12 sitting on that Galilean hillside, hearing with your ears from the mouth of Christ the Sermon on the Mount? Can you imagine seeing disease, decay, demon possession, and death all be transformed into life, healing, restoration, and peace? The disciples had a front row seat to the authority of Christ as Christ calmed storms, as he forgave sin, and as he opened the eyes of those who were once blind. And he did all of this preaching the gospel of the kingdom for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Can you imagine being one of the 12 there? What a perspective. We've seen that up until this point. Jesus teaching and saying and doing all of these miraculous things, and then Jesus with full control on the reins turns to his disciples and says, here, now it's your turn. You do it. The disciples must have felt like they were asked to do a triple backflip off a high dive, and all they have are pencil dives and cannonballs. And yet, this is our passage this morning. This is where we find ourselves here in Matthew chapter 10. And it makes sense because there's an urgency, there's work to be done. In the last passage, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So therefore, pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out more laborers into the field. And then the very next passage, our passage this morning, the disciples are sent out. So he says, pray for more laborers, and then he sends them out. So the disciples are actually the answer to their own prayer because the urgency is so great. The need is so great. Nevertheless, as the good king that Jesus is and the gracious Lord that he is, he doesn't leave the disciples empty-handed. He doesn't just leave them with pencil dives and cannonballs, right? Chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus says, or rather Matthew says this, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So Jesus gives the disciples everything that they need to do to say exactly what Jesus has been doing up to this point. It's like the ebb and flow of a tide. Jesus brings his 12 in, gives them and grants them authority, and then sends them out on mission. And as he sends his disciples out on mission, he gives them instructions. Before he sends them out, he gives them instructions, which is actually all of chapter 10. 
As we continue through this chapter, we're just going to hear more and more instructions. But this set of verses, 5 through 15, is this general set of instructions to the disciples. And although these are very specific missionary instructions for a very specific time in redemptive history, these words from Christ and the application to us are powerful and necessary as we too are on mission in Christ. And so Jesus gives the 12 disciples and us instructions. First, he says where to go. Jesus instructs us where to go. Second, he instructs the disciples what to do when they get there. Third, he instructs how to do it. And fourth, Jesus gives us instructions for dealing with rejection. So first, where to go. Next, what to do. Third, how to do it. And fourth, dealing with rejection. So first, where to go. Jesus instructs his disciples to go to a very specific group of people, to the nation of Israel, to his Jewish people. Look at verse 5 and 6 with me. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus says, don't go to non-Jewish Gentiles and don't even go to half-Jewish Samaritans, but go to the lost children of the house of Israel. Jesus What he is not saying is that he has no regard for non-Jewish people or else most of us wouldn't be here right now, right? And even through the gospel accounts, you see so many different examples of Jesus leaning in to those who are outside of God's covenant people, healing and restoring and forgiving sin, right? And even at the end of Matthew, the Great Commission is to go and make disciples of not only the nation of Israel, but go make disciples of all the nations. So it's not as if Jesus has a kind of disdain for non-Jewish people. Rather, what we see here is that this is, these are instructions to go to the house of Israel as part of God's plan and program for the spread and reach of the gospel. To Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. This is God's plan for the reach of the gospel. And yet that's not only what's happening here. Even more than a programmatic plan, God has a special affinity and affection for his covenant people, Israel. And we see that in verse five. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Go to the lost sheep. Remember, in the last passage, who are the lost sheep? These are the ones that Jesus' heart breaks over in compassion as he sees his people, as he looks at the crowd. They're harassed and helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd, mistreated, malnourished, and wandered from the fold of God. This is where Jesus is instructing his disciples to go. And this isn't just an Israel thing, right? All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. All have been ravaged 
by the effects of sin and the fall, all of us, we like sheep, have gone astray and are in need of the shepherd. And so Jesus commands his disciples to go to the lost and broken because this is whom God's heart pulses and surges toward. This is the motivation, right? This is why Jesus is moved with compassion as he looks out on these sheep without a shepherd. This is why Jesus commands his disciples to pray for more labors into the harvest. And this is also why Jesus now sends them. Don't only pray, but go. Go to my people. My heart breaks for them. Yours ought to break as well. So Jesus says where to go. And then Jesus says what to do. What do you do when you get there? Verse 7. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. These are really new instructions for the disciples, and I'm sure they would have been feeling the newness of these instructions. But this actually isn't new. This is exactly what Jesus has been doing. The first thing that he says right after his baptism, the message that he comes to bring is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's preaching this gospel of the kingdom, and he's also healing. In the last two chapters, we've seen Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons, exactly what he's now commanding his disciples to do. So this isn't new to following Jesus. But why? I was asking myself this question, why? Why do these two go together? I know we see it all over in the Gospels, preaching, proclamation, and healing, and deliverance. Why are these two going hand in hand throughout the Gospels? As I was asking this question this week, I was really helped by Patrick Schreiner and his commentary on Matthew. If you remember, last week we were in Ezekiel 34 as Pastor Dylan referenced this passage about the false shepherds of Israel not caring for and tending for God's people. They were sleeping on the job, and actually, they not only were sleeping, but they were ravaging God's people. They were benefiting themselves at the expense of God's people. This passage will be up on the screen. Ezekiel 34, verses 4 through 5. This is a description of the false shepherds of Israel during Ezekiel's time, but also in Jesus' time. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, injured, sick, broken, scattered, trampled on by the shepherds, by the leaders of Israel. And then you get to the end of chapter 34. And Ezekiel says this in verse 22. Thus says the Lord, verse 22, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set 
over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. So this promise from Ezekiel is the promise that one day there would actually become a true shepherd, a true king from the line of David who would care for God's people in ways that Ezekiel is prophesying against the false shepherds. And in this passage, our passage, our text this morning, what what Matthew is doing, the whole point, is that he is presenting this king, that this shepherd king has finally come from the line of David, the good king who actually takes care of his sheep, who actually clothes his sheep instead of shears his sheep and wears it as wool. This is who Jesus is. He is the king come from heaven, the promise of life, of healing, forgiveness of sins, restoration, peace, redemption, So what Jesus is saying to his disciples here when he says, go and proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand and go and heal, what he is doing is he is saying, go tell them that I've come. Go tell them that the shepherd king, the long-awaited shepherd king has finally come to bind up the wounds of God's people to be restoration and healing, to save you from your sins. Go tell them that. And go show them by healing them of their physical wounds too. Go tell them and go show them. This double witness that the kingdom of heaven is near because the king has come. The church, we have an amazing king. We have an incredible king who's not only a king who rules with power and might and force, but he does so by drawing near and getting low. He does so as the good king, the shepherd, the one who actually tends for his people. So therefore, what do we do in light of this? We go too. Therefore, go. Church, today, when we leave this place, go. Go tell them that the shepherd king has come. Go tell them, the lost sheep of the house of Israel and all who have gone astray, go tell them that Christ has finally come to actually bring the deliverance that our hearts desperately need. And what makes this message of the kingdom so good is that it's free. Look at the second half of verse eight. You received without pain Give without pay. (laughs) This is the gospel. There's no payment required. There's no taxes from this king. This is the definition of grace. It's free. No works, no self-justification, nothing you bring to the table can earn anything before God. God freely gives it. You freely received, therefore freely give it away. There was one payment, Christ himself, the one who paid for our sins on the cross, the one who was broken and battered so that we would actually be bound together and healed. Christ was torn apart so that we would be folded in now as God's people. Freely receive 
now freely give. And I have, just a, a point of application, I have found that when I'm drinking in grace and not resisting it because maybe I, I don't think I'm worthy enough or I'm looking at my week and I feel really embarrassed about what I've done, but instead when I'm drinking in grace and receiving and not closing off what God has offered to us in Christ, it so naturally just comes out when I'm interacting with people. There's an overflow. It actually reminds me of all of these examples in the Gospels where Jesus says, hey, you just got healed, but don't tell anyone, right? The time hasn't come yet. And then they turn around and they tell everyone. They cannot help it. They can't help it. They're like Jeremiah. There's like fire shut up in their bones and they can't not say what God has done. So church, the best thing we could do is we go out on mission. Before we do that, right, we pray. Before we do that, we receive, we drink in God's grace to us. Freely we have received. Now therefore, go and freely give it away. So Jesus instructs his disciples then and now where to go. He instructs us what to do. And now he tells us how to do it. He tells us the manner in which we are to go about this mission of Christ. He says in verse 9, Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. So back in verse 8, Jesus says, You freely received, freely give it away. Don't charge people for the gospel. Don't charge people for the message of salvation. Don't charge them when they're healed. Don't charge them. And not only are you not to charge for this, but you're also not to bring a wallet. Don't bring a wallet. Don't bring a backpack. Don't bring extra clothes. Don't bring a staff. Don't go to REI and get a Patagonia Nano Puff jacket. Right? Don't do any of that. But why? Why does Jesus say this? Because the worker in the field deserves to eat. That's what he says in verse 10. The worker deserves to eat. He's saying, those who are working in the field, when you go and you preach and, you, and, and this message is received, you'll be provided for. Your essentials, your basic fundamental needs will be provided for by those who receive the message. And ultimately, it's God who provides. But even underlying this, what Jesus is saying here in this instruction is so pivotal for evangelism and for missions. Jesus wants his followers to be so focused on the mission and not to be doing it for material gain. Jesus wants us to be so focused on his mission that he has folded us into and not on material gain. Jesus' desire is that we would be like him. This is Jesus. This is his life in ministry. He himself, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. That's my food. That's what I'm craving. I'm, I want to do what God the Father has sent me to do. And so as disciples of Christ, it's really natural that we do the same since a disciple is a follower of Christ. No servant is greater than his master. 
Jesus, he's after our motivation. And we know, right, we know the motivation of the television preachers who say, sow a seed and reap a material harvest. Meanwhile, they're jumping on their jets and flying all, all around the world. We know their motivation, right? There's money, there's dollar signs behind that. And yet I wonder if we were to ask that question to us, what, what's our motivation? Why are we preaching the gospel? Or maybe why are we not preaching the gospel? I'm confronted with this question every time I stand in this pulpit. There's so many mixed motives. Like we try to get stuff from other people. We, we present it in a way so as to get the praise of man from others. Or we present it in a way so that we don't get rejected. And I'm gonna avoid this, this really hard thing that I feel like I, I need to share right now, but, but I'm not going to because I, I love the praise of man. We're trying to get something out of it. And yet, there is such freedom here because Jesus gives us the greatest motivation of all. You freely receive the grace of God, now give it away. What Jesus is saying is, you don't need anything from anybody. You're so free. You're so free to give it away. You don't need anything from anybody. This is true gospel freedom as we go out those doors and as we share and as we open our mouths, not expecting anything, actually expecting rejection and persecution. We have everything we need in Christ Jesus. So we see where to go. Jesus says what to do when you get there. He instructs us how to go, the manner in which we go. And fourth and last, Jesus instructs us how to deal with rejection. Verse 11 and following. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So Jesus gets even more specific. He says, here's where you go. Here's what you do. Here's how you do it. And when you actually get into the town and into the homes, here is what you ought to do. And it's focused and centered around how to deal with different responses to the gospel message. Verse 11, Jesus says, in whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. Find out who's worthy. It's kind of interesting language. Uh, we don't really talk like that, right? It's all throughout this passage too. Find out who's worthy. He talks about unworthy people. Look at verse 13. If a house is, unwor uh, if a house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. 
What Jesus is not saying is, find those people who are upright and morally worthy and dignified. Find those kind of people. No, that's actually the the exact opposite. That's not the point. He says, go find the lost. Go find the broken. Go find the hurting. Go to those who know that their need is of a savior, of a redeemer king. So he's not saying that. But instead we see in verse 14, it's helpful, this key in verse 14, it's helpful to understand what Jesus is saying. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet. So what Jesus is saying is find those who are worthy, that is, find those who will not reject you. Find those who will not slam the door in your face as you're presenting this gospel, this good news of the kingdom. Find those who will listen. And moreover, what Jesus is really focused on here as the passage keeps going up until 15, this culmination is Jesus is focused on what you do when you're rejected. What do you do when the door is slammed on your face? Again, verse 14, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. These words are so weighty and so heavy. This word on judgment. When the disciples shook their feet after having been rejected, what they were doing is actually a a typical practice in that day and time. Jewish people who would go outside of the land into Gentile regions When they would come home, before they came home, they would shake the dust off their feet as a testimony against the ungodly and vile practices of the Gentile regions. Actually, the other gospel writers in this account, they say, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And the irony here is that Jesus is saying, when you go to the lost house of Israel, to God's people, and they reject you, you're actually to shake the dust off your feet from them, the so-called godly ones, the house of Israel. So this is a, a, an act of judgment, a testimony of judgment, right? But it's not only judgment, it's really severe judgment. Jesus mentions here the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, And as you know, these cities serve as chief examples for lewdness, for rebellion, for wickedness, for abomination. These are like the pinnacle of what it means to live in opposition to God. As Ezekiel says in chapter 16, verse 49, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and your daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. This wickedness and rebellion was so intense that God saw it just and right to rain down fire and sulfur on all of Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet, 
here in this text, Jesus is saying when people reject you and don't receive the message, it's actually going to be a little bit better in hell for Sodom and Gomorrah than for those. Why? Why so serious here? Why is it such a big deal to reject the disciples? And that's just it. It's not a rejection of just the disciples. This is a rejection of Christ himself. Later on in the discourse in chapter 10, verse 40, Jesus says, whoever receives you receives me. So conversely, whoever rejects these disciples who are carrying the greatest message in all of the universe actually is rejecting Christ. Whoever receives me, whoever receives you, disciples, receives me. Whoever rejects you, they're rejecting me. And this is a really big deal because Jesus was not just merely a good man or a pronounced rabbi, but Jesus is the good shepherd of the sheep. He is the Messiah. This is a really big deal. This is the biggest deal to reject Christ. If you slam the door in the face of God's messengers who are bringing this gospel of the kingdom, you are not rejecting the messengers. You're slamming the door on the king of heaven. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so if you are hearing my voice and you have not yet come to Christ, may my words not serve as the shaking of the feet as a testimony against you, but the invitation is come. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you true rest. I am the true shepherd of the sheep. All right, we often think about, you hear in culture and, and people talking about the pearly white gates and how, how it, it'll be closed off to me, right? And yet, the logic is actually, you're the one closing the door. You have this, this wonderful message of redemption and salvation and life and hope in Christ, and you're saying, no thanks, no solicitors. So hear, hear these words from the mouth of Christ and receive them. This is good news. It's free. This is free. That's the definition of grace, to receive this by faith. And church, for us, I found such encouragement here in this last instruction. For us, when we, not if, but when we go out from this place and when we share this good news of the gospel, when we are rejected, do not feel bad for yourself, but rather feel bad for those who are rejecting Christ. They are not rejecting you, they're rejecting Christ. The shaking of the feet is a testimony to say, I am not feeling bad for me, but rather my heart is filled with sorrow for you, that you are not receiving grace. Let this passage actually motivate us to share this good news and to pray for those who do not receive it, that God would do a work, that he would cause repentance and life. So beloved, as we close, 
I can only think of one word that summarizes this whole text. This one word, this one argument, which Jesus is making here to his disciples and to us, he's saying go. That's what this whole text is about. He's saying go. Why? Because there's those who are lost and are broken. You know it as a laborer because you yourself are a sheep. You know your deep need for a shepherd. Therefore, go. Go. And what do you do? You proclaim the good news of the gospel. You go and you tell them. Tell them what has been won in Christ. That Christ is the shepherd king. Go. And we go not with any motivation to get anything at all, right? But we have freely received all things in Christ. We're so free. We are so free to go. We are so free. We're even free to be rejected and to be filled with sorrow, not for us, but for those who don't receive this good news. So church, let's go. Let's pray. Father, I pray and plead before you that we, as your followers, that we would actually follow Christ, that these wouldn't just be words on a Sunday morning, but that you would burn this and impress this on our hearts. Lord, for us who feel disqualified to open our mouths and share, you have given us life You have caused us to be born again, those who are in Christ, to a living hope. And so we know full well what you have done. You have qualified us because we have freely received. Anyone who freely receives can therefore freely give. Would you give us boldness and confidence by your spirit to do this, to take up this mission? Oh, and that there would be so much joy in doing so, even in the face of rejection, that we would be counted worthy to suffer for the name that is above all names. Would you do this in our homes, with our neighbors, in our cities, with our families? God, we're pleading, would you do this? Would you be glorified in all of this, we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.